Welcome back to the podcast. So as I mentioned in the last podcast, this is one that I'm really excited about because I think it's super important. I have with me two special guests, uh, Lauren Kearns on my right, who is the director of the Doctorate of Ministry program at the Portland Seminary. And on my left is Nick Willis, who is a professor of mathematics and has held all kinds of other roles at the university in faculty leadership, academic leadership, like back, what were you, faculty rep? Um, and yeah, I've been Senate faculty clerk. rep and I've been the Senate clerk, okay. yes. Look at all I know about you. Yes. And have you <laughs> held any of those roles? And I do my best to avoid that. <laughs> all right then. Okay, so the reason I wanted to get us together is I've talked to both of you independently about this issue, and Nick was the one who, I think it was either I heard it through you, from you, or through our meetings with um, Chad and some others, but then Bill St. Cyr talked about some of this too, Mm -hmm. is sort of the missing element in our culture, a critical missing element in our culture, which is the lack of elders. Nick, you went to this training called Rare yeah. I thought that would be a good segue into this. Yeah, I got to go to a conference uh, that was titled Rare Leadership, and actually going into this conference, I knew almost nothing about it. So I didn't quite know what I was getting into other than that I was going to be going to a leadership conference. And the conference was led by a guy named uh, Dr. Marcus Warner, okay. and uh, he's written a book with another um, – Dr. Jim Wilder on rare leadership, but there were a couple things that were talked about uh, that really stuck out to me at the conference, and one of them was the idea of an elder, and I think that that's kind of what got us talking, and I thought if I could, I'd just go through a little bit of what uh, was talked about at that conference, and it isn't that anything that was said really changed my life in any way or that it wasn't something that I kind of knew but the framework that it was put in I really really liked and I thought would be valuable to talk about more Uh, and he kind of talked about that there are really five levels of maturity Um, and he kind of talked about that there's an infant level maturity, a child maturity, an adult maturity, a parent level maturity, and then an elder level maturity. And, uh, there's a lot to say about each of those levels of maturity. I'm not a psychologist, uh, but I I think in a nutshell, some of the things to think about is that infants have a goal of getting other people to do what they need. Uh, that most of their life is focused around how can I get someone else to give me what I want? And they are very good at it, right? Uh, And then you get a little bit older, maybe about three years old, and you start learning these child-level maturity skills. And child-level maturity focuses a little bit more around uh, I should be able to take care of my own needs, Like, so I'm starting to learn about the world and how can I take care of myself? But you don't really leave your five-year-old in charge of your three-year-old because they are not capable of taking care of another's needs at that age. 
So the maturity that they're learning as a child and that we should be training our children to do is kind of just to take care of themselves. And then uh, he said that about around age 13 is where you really should be making a shift as a child into starting to learn adult level maturity. And adult level maturity would be that now I can take care of myself and I can start to take care of another person. Um, and a good context to think about this in, I think, is like physically, yes, like maybe now I would let a 13-year-old babysit or something, but also like emotionally, that you have like emotional care for another person, that you can support someone emotionally. Uh, so adult-level maturity would be you're starting to be able to take care of others' needs other than just yourself. And then uh, once you have your first child to the time when your last child uh, leaves the home, you enter a level of learning about parent-level maturity. And parent-level maturity would be you're able to take care of a whole family, take the emotional needs of a whole family on yourself, um, which is another level, as some of us have experienced. And then finally, uh, from the time you don't have kids in the home, it may start at that time. It may start at other times for other people. But eventually you reach this level of elder level maturity where you're able to take the needs of entire communities on yourself. Um, and that might look like an entire extended family. That might be a church. That might be a business. That There's a lot of ways to look at that. But you're able to take kind of the stress and the um, emotional need of entire people groups on your shoulders and bear them uh, and remain relational with people while bearing them. So I just really love just starting there that, uh, man, that it really makes an elder sound pretty special. And I just kind of thought back into my childhood growing up in a small church and, you know, there was a big problem in the church and one of the, you know, older gentlemen in the church, farmer, wasn't like highly educated. He'd stand up and he'd just basically say, everybody, it's going to be okay. And for whatever reason, everybody believed him, <laughs> you know, uh, and everybody just cooled down the whole room would calm down under like this one elder who really didn't speak that much. He could just stand up and calm everybody down. And it, I just thought back on some of those moments and I thought, wow, yeah, we need more of that. Hmm. So uh, that was kind of maybe the number one thing I got out of that conference is just this paradigm of we should be moving towards elder level maturity, elder level leadership. I love that. And I was trying to convey some of what I had learned from you about this as I was sitting next to Lauren at a lunch, uh, what, a week or so ago? Thereabouts. And, um, and as I was sharing it with, with Lauren, he had uh, told me that he was just rereading, I think, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And we got onto the conversation about elders. And you talked about, or we started talking about the three, and I know Bill was talking about this at the lunch, Bill St. Cyr, or dinner we were at with him, about what was it, the three roles? Um, uh, three sources of meaning for humans. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so it's probably an important reminder, listeners, 
who Frankel is, uh, he was a Jew who survived Auschwitz. Um, and, and he was also a professional psychologist at the time. So he kind of went through firsthand, above all, he survived and experienced all it was to be, you know, nearly exterminated and watching, you know, his whole family and others pass away. Um, but beyond that, he, uh, he, he, he also kind of went through the experience watching what happened to people and how did people survive and why some people didn't survive. And he would, in sh- the stories, um, the, f- the book, The Man's Search for Meaning, I think was first published in 55. So it's, it's a classic. Um, and it's been updated. I think the one I read was the 84 revision. So there were some updates made to it. But like the first two thirds of the book, it's more or less an autobiography, kind of framing his, his own therapy that he developed, which he called logotherapy. Um, but what he discovered, and he was shared in the story, was he would he and his those who would be you know in the uh, barracks with, they would see someone, and they could tell when someone was going to die, and they would see it in their eyes. That's what he would he related in the story, and you could just tell there was a point, some kind of moment, when the person no longer had something to live for, they gave up, and when they'd see it in their eyes, and they would always talk among themselves like, oh, that guy, twenty four hours, forty eight hours, and almost. Like, uh, like that, that person would just die. <laughs> and part of the reason was you were, your bodies, they were just utterly brought to the brink of death anyway and s- sustained at that just, uh, just side of death. That's what the Germans did in those spaces. And so unless you had something that really f- kind of compelled you forward, you would die. So it was this sort of a, a really dark, dark experiment with humans that the Nazis engaged in. And he was a, both the uh, recipient of that experiment and then kind of had this weird uh, out-of-body sort of watching his colleagues. What he learned was, what they, he determined um, through that experience and then for the research after the war, was uh, that first, um, the three sources of meaning he sort of discovered. Number one, you create something or do something significant. So, you know, we think oftentimes, speaking of elders, oftentimes elders start talking about legacy, right? That would be the connection to that. Um, The second one is you experience something or someone, and he talked about something might be God or someone, someone you love. And so he, another way to think about that is the experience and participation and mutual love. Um, and, and then the third one, which is the one he unfortunately had to go through in the death camps, was facing necessary, necessary is a key term here, not, not, we're not talking martyrs here, necessary suffering with bravery and courage, uh, with dignity. And many didn't. Many folded and they, they became... Um, Ring rate. I mean, it's shadows of themselves, and, and when when the suffering hit, it kind of brings out what you are, and do you do it with integrity? So there was, and there's a pride in that, in a good sense of the term. Um, so those were the three sources that he was talking about in the book. So one thing that you kind of made a point in our conversation about elders is not everybody who reaches a certain level of maturity is is the quote unquote elder. Just as the example that Viktor Frankl gave is not everybody had the metal to sustain the circumstances. And kind of what Nick was alluding to is there's a certain type of person that is, that is capable 
of holding that role. And, and I want to get back to this role thing. Um, I totally forgot about those three things, which I think are super important, but they actually relate to those three roles. And we talked about, uh, and we talked about this too, Nick, is the um, priestly, the um, pro- prophet, and then the, was it ruler or king or something? King. king. Yeah. And how people aspire to the king uh, because that's the guy who is in charge, who can say something and something happens. Everybody loves the power. But then there's the prophetic, which is like Nick's example. Somebody could stand up, say what needs to be said, and it can be heard and acted upon. But then there's this part that you're really touching on, which is the priestly role that Nick has also touched on, which is this... Bearing the responsibility, the community notion that you mentioned. And that this is something that is... Nobody wants that role, or very few people want that role. They want the kingship without the suffering and sometimes the prophetic aspect. Uh, so to speak to that, I, I, a story related to you um, in relationship to that third role, the, the priestly slash sacrificial role. Um, so Victor relates a story uh, in relationship to loving and being loved. Um, this older gentleman who was a physician came to him and was just distraught and beside himself because uh, his wife had passed away. He was elderly, and his wife had passed away, and he was just crushed. It was, I don't know how many, 50 years or, you know, a long time. And he was just crushed. He missed her desperately. It was, every day was painful for him. It was just suffering. And so it was a combination of kind of the number two and number three, but number three was just painless, pointless suffering, and he was missing his wife, right? Who Number two, the second meaning, the, the source of meaning, his love relationship with his wife, now was gone. And so Victor said to him, well, um, well, what if we swapped roles? What if you had passed away for, would, first, and she instead would miss you? Um, would you have preferred that? And the elder gentleman, the physician, stopped, thought about that for a minute, and said, well, no, I would never want her to go through what I've gone through. I would, I would never have wanted to visit that upon her. And he goes, and so Victor responded and said, well, um, what if you saw this as your way of, your sacrifice for the sake of her, so she didn't have to suffer what you are suffering? Mm-hmm. And he said that, like, that, the man's eyes changed back to the eyes, and it was like all of a sudden he found a meaning in his suffering connecting two and three, but the suffering was no longer pointless. It was a meaningful suffering. It was a sacrifice for the sake of another. And he walked out of that office a different man. He never saw him again. He didn't have to. <laughs> it wasn't some deep psychological thing, but he was obviously you know, deeply troubled by that. And that was a great example of the kind of sacrifice officially taking upon himself the burden for another, for well, the sake of another. That, that, I love that story. Yeah. And it even makes me reflect on my own life and what my role is. What I also love about it is it's a reframe, yeah, right? Exactly. He just reframed everything he went through through the lens of what we would conceive of as an elder, right? He, he stepped into that suffering instead of his wife, and he was happy about it. Now, he, he walked away satisfied that I, I did that rather than she, which is a sacrificial notion. So, Nick, going back to Bill St. Cyr, another psychologist that we know who was talking to us about this, talked about the man-child. Our country, especially our culture, is really obsessed with youth. 
and greatness. There's you, you just hear a lot about this right now. And they're really attracted to the kingly aspects of the elder role. And so um, I was curious, Nick, from your perspective on that. Um, first of all, how do you see that? In what ways do you see that? And Lauren, you can chime in on this too. And then what are some thoughts? Have you put some thoughts together about how can we change this? But maybe you can talk a little bit about what Bill, if you remember, talked about the man-child or the woman-child who is the uh, current elder in our culture. Well, I think one of the things that you have to talk about is uh, what do we aspire to in retirement um, as a culture? And uh, I think that the large majority of people aspire to return to adolescence in some sense and return to a place where all I really need to worry about is me. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> maybe I'm just going to go play golf for a long time. Uh, and there's not really any sort of aspiration towards stepping into the community as a leader. And we see a lot of the people who are capable to be elders in our communities leaving our churches and maybe spending time other places uh, where they're not influencing the next generation and helping them to mature into the next generation of elders. So, so let me ask you this. So why is that then? I mean, it sounds like if you're this elder, this person who's willing to sacrifice, why do you think that they're, if they are capable of this, stepping away? I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily the expert on the subject uh, to say We're speculating. why, why <laughs> we are they moved into speculative? Yes, 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 yes. That's fine. Yeah, yes, why are sure. they stepping away? I, I, I think that it's because if there was an age range that we worship in our country, it is youth. Mm. And what is youth in our country all about? Um, having fun. Uh, so we have a culture that is like if you have attained then you could just feel joy all the time and stress is something to be avoided um, pain is something to be avoided so the ultimate goal of my life should be to have as much pleasure as possible and to reduce my pain as much as possible that's not the role of an elder uh, the role of an elder is to actually take other people's pain on you, uh, on yourself, and so that they don't have to bear that pain. Um, and so I think that the re if I was going to put out speculator reason, it would just be that us as a culture, we in some sense worship the idea of pleasure and happiness. That's what the goal of life is. Yeah, uh, some people have called our culture an Epicurean culture yes, and versus where we came from, which was more of a Stoic culture. Now, Lauren is in seminary uh, education, so w w can you speak to the missing elders in our churches? Well, um, And what do you think about what Nick said? Uh, I think it's ri ridiculously complex. Mm -hmm. uh, our culture's unbelievably complex, and there's lots of threads and moving parts. Um, so I think those are certainly factors. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, 
the the metaphor of when I retire, I'm going to go play golf. Yeah. It's one that certainly grips a lot of a wide swath of minds and yes. hearts. <laughs> maybe not all, and maybe for different reasons. Yes, you know. So got to get all the caveats in there, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, us doctors are supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I, I mean, you know, on a footnote, it's interesting. One of the I, so I run, I direct a doctor ministry program, which serves primarily ministry leaders mm-hmm. in churches and beyond in nonprofits. Um, probably about 85% of our students are in some sort of staff or senior position. What's fascinating to me, and we've noticed this trend, it's a small one, but it's growing. We're seeing more and more ministry leaders, about 60, start a doctor ministry. And you think, and you know, mm. people will be like, right? Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you about to retire? Mm-hmm. And here's what we're seeing. They're coming to us and saying, well, they, first off, we're living longer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 19, when FDR instituted Social Security with the average life of 67, I think, or something, or 63, or whatever it was, it was, like within two years of whenever the Social Security is supposed to kick in. So it's like he had like a two-year window the government was on the hook. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're up to into the 80 mark-ish, you know. Uh, many are living into the 90s. and even We're seeing the fastest-growing part of our population is the 100-plus category in terms of percentage, mm-hmm. not sheer numbers. That's the fastest growing here in America as well as elsewhere. Um, and so you see more and more people, which is connected to affluence, better medical care, et cetera, this longer runway. So our retirement age hasn't moved much, mid-60s to late 60s, maybe 70, but we're seeing this long runway. And so what we're seeing in doctor ministry is these students coming to us who are just about to retire, and they're saying to us, I want to retire and I'm going to change my pace because my, the pace I'm sustaining right now is too much, you know, energy life, energy levels. But I don't want to go play golf. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that's meaningful and makes a contribution. Hmm. Um, that's actually one of the, that's the last five years we're starting to see that emerge so, in, our, in our program. So what's really interesting about that yeah. is maybe there's a growing sense that's starting to emerge. A small, of, still cloud and distance mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, is, which is actually a positive I think so. uh, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's, what will be interesting is can we recoup enough people in that role to get us through what we're experiencing right now. And I pulled off my bookshelf, The Culture mm-hmm. Code by Ro- Clotaire Rapai, mm-hmm. and he talks about, like, there's codes for everything. He's a, he's a psychiatrist turned marketer, okay? Mm-hmm. So he created things like the PT Cruiser and the Hummer and all this stuff. But he said there's a code for America in this chapter, the last chapter mm-hmm. of his book is called Never Growing Up, Never Giving Up, The Code for America which he says is dream. And the, the mission of America as a culture is to keep the dream alive. We have this sort of um, boomer mentality, which is never grow up, right? Stay young. And the, we, we start hearing these things like 60s, the new 40, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like from your experience, Lauren, that there are some who are seeing that there actually is an alternative to that. Just some. I, I would call it, it's sort of like in, you know, the still small cloud in the distance. It's not, it's a, but it's an emerging phenomenon that we're seeing. And it's fascinating. We've had, this has been internal conversation in our teams. What's, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, we had recently one of our oldest students graduate at 80. Wow. 80. Hmm. And her name is Rose. And um, if Rose, you hear this, we're proud of you. <laughs> and uh, 
what was fun about Rose is she had been uh, lived in Baltimore, had worked in higher parts of government, had been she would her own stories. It was there's a lot of corruption. She was involved like the mayor's office and all this politics, and she wasn't a Christian. Late in life, becomes a Christian in her sixties, I want to say something mm. like that, and had this this dramatic kind of about face in terms of what she's about and what her life's about, and she came back pursued a master's in her like 60s and early 70s, then went on and did a doctor ministry with us. And her whole goal was to, in Mississippi, where she lives, hmm. establish care centers for, for addicts. And she's an African-American, for, so particularly poor, to the poor and African-American populations in Mississippi. She wants to invest and she wants to help at 80. Wow. Mm-hmm. And step into step in. the suffering. It. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right into the middle of it. Yep. Okay. Th- this has been great. Now I want to kind of bring uh, some of this to to a close on this note, which is in light of our sort of understanding of the problem, at least some parts of the problem. I know it's super complex. Is how does it change your aspirations? Because here, this is interesting to me because I'm an elder in my church, and I think we use the term elder as more of a official title, right? Mm-hmm. It's an, I hold an office, I go and I sign checks because I'm the elder of administration. So we've gotten away from the concept of an elder, uh, even in church, to say an elder is sort of an official. Um, and which is why we see sometimes conflicts with elder groups that are, well, not very mature, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how does this, thinking now impact you guys in terms of your aspirations and what are you thinking about in terms of maybe becoming an elder or are you Uh, well one thing that i think i've thought about surrounding the idea of being an elder is being as honest with myself as possible about what am i able to cope with uh what kind of support can I give at this stage in my life and what can I not give? Mm. Um, and I think especially for, I have three young daughters and, uh, and the reality is that a lot of my emotional energy needs to go into them Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life. And that means that I can't do something else. Uh, and I think that that's where I've really thought about this is like, where, where am I going to be bearing other people suffering for them in my life? And, you know, as an adult and really evaluating, are you an adult? Uh, are you able to bear other people suffering? Um, and as an adult, where can I bear that suffering and where should I be bearing that suffering? And where am I able to? So just thinking about all of those things together has challenged me a little bit. Uh, Sometimes it's challenged me to take a step back because maybe I'm overstepping Mm -hmm. what I'm capable of doing, which makes me less effective everywhere. So those are some thoughts I've had. Wow. So a lot of uh, introspection and... um and doing something that we don't hear a lot about in our culture about our limitations. There's 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 much more talk about the limitless, and and I think that's something that I feel like culturally we're running into is like we're we're realizing actually we are fragile people, and we have limitations, 
Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so Lauren, what, what are your thoughts? Anyone who's over 40 knows that they have limita- limitations. We were all over that. Yeah. Like, oh, yes. You know it. Uh, Especially <laughs> over 40 with children. <laughs> when, Married over 40 with children, yes. That's when do. you crawl out of bed in the <laughs> toward the, cup, the coffee cup. Uh, uh, what you, uh, Chris, what, uh, sorry, Nick, Nick, what you said um, reminds me a bit of one of the core themes of Jordan Peterson, who's this interesting oh, yeah, yeah, cultural yeah. phenomenon, mm-hmm. who yeah, has we, a wide we're, following we're fans. <laughs> um, and a wide resistance. So yes. I understand yes. I'm sensitive to that. But I think, uh, notwithstanding the political stuff, all that, one of his core messages is the whole, um, and he talked about in his own story, his own narrative, the, um, there was a point when he decided that he was going to be absolutely truthful not say something he doesn't know, like in the sense mm-hmm. of he's convicted, mm-hmm. and he not, in other words, don't disclose smoke, don't just theorize, don't speculate, be, re, you know, and, and, and not lie, not, and above all, to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and he talked about, you know, the Jordan Peterson we know is someone who's 20 years of doing that. And so mm-hmm. he began his journey of, of absolutely being of, with himself, mm. honest, tell the truth above all to yourself. We are... We, as humans, are really, 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 really good at self-deception. Mm. And, um, and I've been doing a lot of reading in social psychology, and it's painful how good we are at self-deception. Mm. <laughs> so tr- the, the quest for honesty above all with yourself and with those around you, I think that there, if, if you do that regularly over t- life, it will have this sort of chastening effect. It'll humble, it'll nuance, Right, it'll make you a more uh, authentic and probably more importantly, a person of greater integrity. Mm. And I, uh, I think, you know, so the quest for pleasure is pleasure is wonderful, but it doesn't make you someone who, when the types, times get tough, like um, like uh, Viktor Frankl saw in the death camps, it doesn't make you the kind of person who, when that day comes, God forbid for any of us it does, mm-hmm. that you're up for the for the task, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so a quest for truthfulness, I think, would be, uh, to pick on what Jordan's, uh, Peterson's saying, I think that would be really a good start. Um, another piece, I, I've done a lot of reading in family uh, systems theory, and there's this whole notion of differentiation. Uh, uh, Edwin Friedman was uh, kind of uh, one of the core theorists around that. But it's the idea that, and this is where sacrifice, we have to kind of balance a little bit. Um, there's the notion of cut off from people, just, I'm going to go my way, I don't care. And then there's a notion of enmeshment, where I identify with you in such a way that I no longer am distinct. Mm-hmm. And so I think great elders um, know how to balance those two, know how to stay in relationship, not cut off, without unduly taking on to themselves what's, what others should carry for themselves. So in kind of putting responsibility back. So like a great parent would be one who helps their kids over time take on their own responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Um, so enmeshment is, yeah, I just keep carrying your load for you. So elders carry a load, but only so far and only for so long. Um, so learning how to differentiate, to be in relationship without enmeshment is, um, I think, another really great life skill. Mm-hmm. That, uh, again, and then, uh, both of those things, uh, uh, truthfulness with yourself and questing after trying to, to maintain a sense of differentiation. Um, those aren't quick fixes. Those are 30 years 
Mm-hmm. And over 30 years, you do that, and you will be different. Mm-hmm. It changes you. You know, it's not over. So it's just, there's no blue pill here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what you just said reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend uh, who's actually not 40 yet, um, but has gone through a lot. He's he's got a lot of mileage, and he has a lot of insight. And he talked about. I mean, this guy is very truthful. Um, he's very honest about his shortcomings beyond his years, in my opinion. But he said, when you are truthful like that, you are vulnerable, and some people are not going to like it. Um, he goes, but what I've learned is that those are not the people that you can be in the kind of relation in community with. Doesn't mean you can't connect with them, but you just can't be in a relationship of depth with them and you don't really want to be because to be in that relationship requires you not to be truthful and i thought wow that is that is really deep but what i really appreciate about what you said is how important our communities are and how intentional are we especially men um because we're not good at forming community (laughs) we're very good at being lone rangers and all this stuff but elders can't be that way, it sounds like. Aspiring elders. If you, if you want that 20 years, if you're starting that 20-year journey, there's probably going to have to be some people in there that allow you or that you are willing to be truthful around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think there's one other author that I would just mention for our podcast listeners here is Richard Rohr. Oh, yeah. I, he's a, right? This guy I was just telling you about, yeah. he's a Richard Rohr Fall, guy. Falling Upward. He, yeah, right? that, exactly. And breathing underwater. It's a spectacular yeah. book. I recommend it. Um, but it really talks about this whole notion of the second half of life. Mm. Um, and and it, 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 the, there is a threshold, and oftentimes it's around the 40-year mark, for, at least in modern society, when people kind of come to the end of themselves, they begin to discover their limitations. Mm. They begin to see the, um, the superficiality of so much of what youth culture is about. Mm. Pleasure is great, but it's superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, the deeper meanings in life come when you actually leave a legacy that matters in the world. It comes from knowing someone deeply, loving someone deeply. Mm-hmm. It comes when you make the, make the deep sacrifice when you ha- for the sake of a community or for another. Um, that's deep stuff. That's meaning. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's worth living for. Wow. But it's mm-hmm. oftentimes not youth culture it gets any of that it's Mm-mm. after 40 or <laughs> second half of life it could be because that's a really a life stage so i say 40 but it could be 30 if mm-hmm. you've been you know face deep suffering i think there's old souls out yeah, there. yeah 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 and youth culture doesn't take they get youth culture rewards uh people for not doing the work right right and and the elder is the opposite the elder put the work in the reward is different it's pleasurable but in a way that you are not expecting, in a way that you're not necessarily pursuing for the pleasure. Right. The pleasure comes out in the satisfaction of authenticity and giving yourself away for other people. It's the old distinction between happiness and joy. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Nick, did you want to add anything to that? Well, uh, the one thing I would say is that, you know, when I started out talking about kind of these different levels of maturity, and I think sometimes we want to make a jump through stages. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, today I'm acting like a child and I basically live as a child and tomorrow I want to be an elder. 
Mm. And it just doesn't really work that way. Mm. And I, I think that what I would sort of encourage anyone who's listening is, you know, to think of just one thing you can do to make somebody else's life better. Mm. Just one thing. Um, and there's lots of things right out there. If in your local church in your local community, just what's one thing that is how you become an elder. It's just like, take one small thing you could do to make somebody's life better today. And I think that that's just a great thing to think about every morning is like, is there something I can do today to make life better for somebody else? Wow. So. Well, with that, I think we're going to end this podcast thank you guys both for being here i think we're going to have to revisit this topic again because of its depth um but i would remind people don't plan it out just do it go do that good thing that's just right in front of you you know it's like when people i forgot who was asking somebody about exercise they said what plan should i do and we're trying to get up and the person just said put your shoes on and start walking and I think that's kind of what I hear you saying, Nick, is just go out there and start trying to act in the way that you aspire to be, mm -hmm. knowing that you're not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But if you keep doing it, it's going to be awesome. So thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.